Hello and welcome to Deer Tracks. It's great to have you here in my neck of the woods as we gather for another episode of the Deer Tracks podcast. I'm James Kibbe, and this week I have a special friend with me today. Uh, But before I get into that, uh, I just want to remind everybody that the Deer Tracks podcast is a place where creativity lives, where our longings, our delights, our disappointments, and our passions are breathed out, marking the trail of our journey. These are the tracks we make and the ones we follow to find the deepest parts of ourselves, our true selves. During each episode, you will hear echoes of the past as well as current voices through discussions about and performances of creative works. Our goal is to build community and inspire others in their creative pursuits, which is why we invite our listeners to submit their work for the opportunity of hearing it on a future episode or seeing it on our blog site, and the URL for that is www.deertrackspodcast.blog. Now, if you have a work that you would like to submit, you can email that to me, at james at deertrackspodcast.blog. Also, if you enjoy the content of this podcast, please leave a five-star rating and positive review as that helps us reach more people with this podcast. And if you know anybody that you think would enjoy the content of this podcast, also share it with them. Uh, Send them a link or uh, let them know by uh, word of mouth. All that really helps us to grow our audience. And the tombstones quake. Happy haunts materialize and begin to vocalize. Grim grinning ghosts come out to socialize. Now don't close your eyes and don't try to hide. Or a silly spook may sit by your side. Shrouded in a darkish hide. They pretend to terrorize. So as I mentioned at the start of this episode, I have a special friend with me, and I would like to introduce my special friend to you now. It's actually an old friend of the podcast here. His name is Evan Anstey. Evan, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Jim. It's good to be here today. Well, I am excited to have you on the show. Um, listeners will remember from Season 2, if you've been following along uh, since then, that we had Evan on the podcast to discuss his music. He is a singer-songwriter, so that was a really great conversation, and you can check that out. Again, the, the episode is still available for Season 2. And uh, But I wanted to have you on because with Halloween coming up, I think it would be kind of fun for us to share some scary stories, kind of like we were sitting around a campfire. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, you got the uh, campfire going. Think of it like the campfire going, and you got... Uh, uh, you're in the woods somewhere because usually the best time to tell scary stories is when you're in the woods and it's dark mm-hmm. uh, to scare Boy Scouts, you know, <laughs> make them wet their sleeping bags. <laughs> but yeah, the idea for this show was it'd be just kind of fun for us to share some scary stories. It's something that we've done at one time or another as kids or even as adults. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got a couple stories to share with you. I also have a poem that I wrote titled The Pleasant House. Um, and we're also going to talk a little bit about uh, a song that Evan wrote for his, uh, was it We Will Be at Peace album? It was, yeah. yeah it was the first track off that album, mm-hmm. uh, but it uh, happened to be uh, written or inspired by a ghost story, or um, you just thought about that, that ghost story kind of narrative, and that sort of uh, fanned the flame for that song. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, but let's get into the stories here. So again, we're imagine we're we're in the woods. It's dark. We got a campfire going. We're all sitting around there. Oh, look at that! I don't know how to make campfire sound sounds, but you know, <laughs> we got that uh, owl hooting in the distance. Oh, that's more of a dove, isn't it? I'm d- I am not nailing the sound effects okay. today. <laughs> um, somewhere in the distance, maybe you hear a coyote howl. Hey, there you go. Hey, That's a great, of, that was a good one. one. That was a good one right there. You need a <laughs> sound effect for that. But uh, yeah, so we're just imagining ourselves sitting there, and Evan has the flashlight, because why would you need a flashlight when you're in front of a bonfire? But uh, he's got a flashlight, and he's holding up to his face. 
and he's about to tell us our first story. And Evan, uh, what's the title of our first story that you're going to share? This one is called High Beams, and forgive my lack of memory, Jim, but who's the one who wrote this one? I don't think there's really a uh, a writer, per se, attributed to it. Uh, these are kind of stories that have been uh, shared uh, throughout the years. You can actually, if you Google scary campfire stories, mm -hmm. uh, you can find websites just loaded with them, just these short little stories. That would be fun to share, and I encourage you um, to check it out if you're listening. Um, you know, just Google it. I mean, there's just tons of resources out there, tons of stories, and some of them are pretty fun, so uh, check it out. All righty. So here we go. This one's called High Beams. As the woman drove down a deserted highway, she noticed a lone pair of headlights quickly approaching her car from behind. When the car came closer, she noticed that it was going to overtake her. The car drew up beside her, but then the driver suddenly swerved back behind her car. She started getting nervous and kept an eye on the strange car in her rearview mirror. He pulled up dangerously close to her rear bumper and began flashing his high beams at her. The headlights dimmed for a moment, but then the high beams flashed again and the car behind her surged forward. The car followed her very closely and on tight curves or over hills, he would flash his high beams on and off. The frightened woman struggled to keep her eyes on the road and fought the urge to keep looking at the car behind her. Finally, she approached her exit, but the car continued to follow, flashing the high beams again and again. The terrified woman took out her mobile phone and dialed 911. When the operator answered, the woman screamed into the phone, A car is following me! He keeps tailgating and blinking his lights at me! The woman gave her address, and in a few minutes... She saw the red and blue lights of a police car in the distance. She breathed a sigh of relief as she pulled into her driveway. But suddenly, the strange car pulled into the driveway right behind her and began blinking its lights on and off like a maniac. The police car screeched to a halt on the woman's front lawn, and two police officers jumped out with their guns drawn. They pulled the man out of the strange car and forced him to lie face down on the lawn. Then they handcuffed him as he screamed, There's someone in her car! There's someone in her car! The two policemen suddenly pointed their guns in the woman's direction and fired. The woman screamed, but when she turned around, she saw the bloody corpse of a murderer fall out of her back seat. There was a large butcher knife still clasped in his cold, dead hand. The police searched her back seat and found duct tape, a blindfold, and a pair of handcuffs lying there. The woman realized that the man in the strange car had been trying to save her. When the police released him, he explained that as he pulled up behind her car and his headlights lit up her back seat, he had seen a man with a butcher knife rising up behind her. Just as the madman was about to stab her, he flashed his high beams, and the figure crouched back down. I flashed my high beams every time I saw him raise the knife, he said. Wow, that was uh, very riveting. And uh, really good job reading that. Boy, oh, well, really, thank you. Uh, if anybody wasn't uh, a little bit uh, white-knuckled there while uh, listening to it, uh, I'd be really surprised. You have no heart. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, it's a scary one. But, you know, that's one of the things that's really neat about scary stories like that is the twist. Mm -hmm. You know, and you got that built up tension and suspense. Mm -hmm. And that one especially, I really liked the twist on that because you don't really see that coming. Exactly. You think the whole time that the guy who's chasing her is going to be the, uh, the antagonist in this story when really the unexpected twist came right there at the end. And that's one of those things where then, you know, she pulls into her driveway and the guy pulls up and, of course, the cops are there and they're tackling him. And you're thinking, oh, is that the end of it? And then uh, all of a sudden, like that kind of a twist, you're like, oh, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would have ended up pretty bad. Very unexpected. And, you know, I think some of the best scary stories and some of the best horror movies even have that big twist right near the end that you don't expect at all. Yeah, and obviously um, it ends pretty well f 
uh, at that point because, you know, the murderer is killed mm-hmm. uh, by the officers and, and everybody's safe. But, uh, yeah, you know, don't, uh, don't go driving uh, at night hmm. after a party. You just never know who's going to be riding behind you. Always stay safe. But uh yeah, no no. So I like I I I like that story. That was um like I said a real clever twist at the end. You really don't see it coming. But um yeah, so yeah, good job reading it. Thank I, you. Yeah, I have to say I was pretty uh pretty impressed. You you raised the bar really high already for this episode. We didn't even work <laughs> up to that. Well, hey, you know. And uh I had to tell it in a I guess in a, a scary way? Would that be the right word for it? <laughs> yeah, that's what we're going for. <laughs> You've got a story for us too. Yeah, right? I got a story here. So um this is a story titled Yellow Ribbon. And uh now it was retold it says that the what I'm gonna be reading um retold by S. E. Schlosser. Mm-hmm. So um but I pulled it off of one of those websites I mentioned earlier. Hmm. So anyway, um, but this is a pretty neat uh, neat story. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway, it, does, it doesn't have the intensity, but it's still a, a pretty neat story. And again, it's titled Yellow Ribbon. Hmm. Jane wore a yellow ribbon around her neck every day. And I mean every day, rain or shine, whether it matched her outfit or not. It annoyed her best friend, Johnny, after a while. He was her next-door neighbor and had known Jane since she was three. When he was young, he had barely noticed the yellow ribbon, but now they were in high school together. It bothered him. Why do you wear that yellow ribbon around your neck, Jane? He asked her every day, but she wouldn't tell him. Still, in spite of this aggravation, Johnny thought she was cute. He asked her to the soda shop for an ice cream sundae. Then he asked her to watch him play in the football game. Then he started seeing her home. And come in the spring, he asked her to the dance. Jane always said yes when he asked her out, and she always wore a yellow dress to match the ribbon around her neck. It finally occurred to Johnny that he and Jane were going steady and he still didn't know why she wore the yellow ribbon around her neck. So he asked her about it, yet again, and yet again she did not let him, or she did not tell him. Maybe someday I'll tell you about it, she'd reply. Someday, that answer annoyed Johnny, but he shrugged it off, because Jane was so cute and fun to be with. Well, time flew past as it has a habit of doing, and one day Johnny proposed to Jane and was accepted. They planned a big wedding, and Jane hinted that she might tell him about the yellow ribbon around her neck on their wedding day. But somehow, what with the preparations and, you know, his beautiful bride and the lovely reception, Johnny never got around to asking Jane about it. And when he did remember, she got a bit teary-eyed and said, We are so happy together. What difference does it make? And Johnny decided she was right. Johnny and Jane raised a family of four. With the usual ups and downs, laughter and tears, when their golden anniversary rolled around, Johnny once again asked Jane about the yellow ribbon around her neck. It was the first time he'd brought it up since the week after their wedding. Whenever their children asked him about it, he'd always hush them, and somehow none of the kids had dared ask their mother. Jane gave Johnny a sad look and said, Johnny, you've waited this long. You can wait a while longer. And Johnny agreed. It was not until Jane was on her deathbed, a year later, that Johnny, seeing his last chance slip away, asked Jane one final time about the yellow ribbon she wore around her neck. She shook her head a bit at his persistence. And then she said with a sad smile, Okay, Johnny, you can go ahead and untie it. With shaking hands, Johnny fumbled for the knot and untied the yellow ribbon around his wife's neck, and Jane's head fell off. You know, Jim, I could tell. It was like a couple paragraphs in when it suddenly struck me. I was like, 
I know this one. I know where this one's going. Did you ever see that book in your local library a long time ago? I think it was called Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Mm, Maybe. Maybe that sounds familiar. In my elementary school, I remember it used to be in there. And I remember frequently uh, checking it out there. And I remember that was one of those stories. And the thing that always sticks out to me is I think this book was even though it was scary stories i think i think it was sort of directed toward children in a way because it had you know goofy little cartoons in there for each story and i remember that one specifically with the woman's head kind of being on the ground not in a gross or graphic way or anything but she had like the smile on her face when it was um you know when when it was just right there but i was like yep i remember that one and again that's one with a twist that you don't expect at all. I mean, unless you've heard it before, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like with this one, it's not as unexpected as, say, the uh, the one we read before, High Beams. True. Yeah. But um, it's still kind of an interesting twist, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and because you're not really sure if it's going to go that route or if it's going to go something else. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, obviously I'm not going to go into, like, all the crazy, you know, I mean, how does that, like, you know, they go out dancing, like, you know, how, do, how does that, how does that yellow ribbon just hold her, you know, head mm-hmm. on her neck or whatever? Um, like, how does that work without, you know, they're doing the twist and all of a sudden it's like, you know, twist <laughs> and shout, oh my God! <laughs> um, it must be on there pretty tight. I don't know. That's the, assu- the, the assumption I have to make. Obviously, uh, this was before they invented super glue. I guess so. Uh, something like that, you know. <laughs> it's a, it, you know, I guess, uh, see, that's the thing. You can't do that with these kind of stories is all of a sudden start because then you ruin it. Right. If you try and break it down as something completely logical, then it doesn't quite work out. Yeah. Anytime you have somebody there that's being logical, like that's the first person you want eaten. <laughs> the first person in the movie that needs to get eaten by the monster is the one that actually tries to solve the problem? Is that what it is? No, it's the one that sits there and says, oh, there's no monster. Oh, okay, so it's that's the one. That can never happen. Gotcha. Because that would be the one person that would get eaten, and you'd be like, yep. Gotcha. Didn't so. believe us. Where's your logic now? Where's your <laughs> science now? Oh, it's in the belly of the beast. Oh, no. Wow, this is really <laughs> taking a turn here. <laughs> but um but yeah um before we get into another story so mention your music uh, being a songwriter you had one song here and there that's the title of it it's the first track on we will be at peace that was your big album that you did you've done some ep you've done some other album work and stuff with some other groups mm-hmm. uh including that, yourself actually including myself yes yes but uh, with here and there, what's interesting about and and again, you you sort of shared that story when we did the interview when we did our interview in season two. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was interesting to hear that that was a ghost story. Indeed. And what I wanted to ask you is, why did you want to write that song in that in that manner to be a ghost story? Well, I'm not sure how exactly it all came to me, but. I've got kind of a long drive to and from work, and I remember the thought kind of came to me when I was probably about halfway through my drive home one night, just this story where, to summarize what the song's about, it's basically about is if I had died after my wife gave birth to a child, and then looking at the whole situation as a ghost someone who's not there physically, but is just still observing the situation. And even though it's kind of a a morbid premise to the whole thing, it actually ends up being sort of a tale of hope, because it talks about me being the ghost looking at her and my child and my parents in this situation, all working together to make the best of the situation and all help raise the uh, child together. So the the lines of the chorus, I guess it's all the same here and there. What that meant is that whether I was there or not, that child was going to be loved 
and taken care of. So it's just one of those things that kind of uh, came to me, I guess, randomly, or I really don't know what I'd been thinking about at the time. But when I was a kid, I used to love to write stories. I wrote a lot of like fantasy and science fiction and superhero type stuff. It was just a hobby of mine. So I've always enjoyed creating things, whether it's songs or stories or whatever. I put on my glasses and I looked to tomorrow. I saw my backyard and the grass look the same. My parents standing there with a babe in their arms She had her eyes and hands. The other thing too is is we're talking about scary stories and that you know, as kids grown up, there was always for me it seemed like there was like always like this one house or there's one location that always seemed to have some sort of like a a, a myth to it or, or, or some sort of reputation mm-hmm. um, that you almost kind of got the feeling like, oh, this was a, this house was either haunted or, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of had this either look about it or something like that. Uh, we all kind of have those sort of in our, our neighborhoods growing up and that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and, and I think it's, it's interesting because as a kid, you're more, interested in the unexplained mm-hmm. whereas i feel like as we get in a, uh, as we become an adult and it, you know and as we start to understand the world more um w- we tend to lose that you know now we look at a house like that and we're like well it's just a crappy house mm-hmm. that's all mm-hmm. um whereas as kids you know again it, at one point in time even as adults you know there used to be that kind of like there used to be that superstition and that and that un, that that belief of of a spiritual realm and all these kind of things and now i feel like when you become we, we got such a rational age now that it's more likely to explain it away using science as opposed to you know that there are just some things that just can't be explained part of what made telling scary stories especially as kids, so interesting was that there was still a part of us that sort of believed that it's possible. And so we would go home and then we would, you know, sleep with the nightlight on because, you know, we're afraid that uh, if the nightlight goes out, next thing you know, you know, Freddy Krueger's there ready mm. to take our soul to hell or something. I don't know. Mm. Maybe that's a little too extreme. but <laughs> Oh, no, I, I mean... I understand. I mean, you mentioned Freddy Krueger, Nightmare on Elm Street. That was one of those movies that freaked me out when I was a kid. I actually just watched it again a week or two ago because my wife had never seen it before. So we watched that. And then one of the later sequels, New Nightmare. But yeah, it's one of those things like when you're a kid, um, I think, yeah, when we're kids, we tend to believe stuff a little bit easier you know, because we don't have as much of an understanding about the world as we do when we're adults. So it's like someone could tell you, oh, the house down the street, that is haunted by a ghost. And when we're a five-year-old, we might not question that as much, especially if it's coming from like a trusted adult or someone that we that we have a lot of uh, faith in or trust in, you know, we'll immediately believe that. We wouldn't question it as much. So yeah, that stuff, it's even scarier and can inhabit our minds much easier when we're children. Um, but at the same time, you know, scary stuff like that can come into our minds as adults too. But yeah, I mean, it's easier to believe when we're kids. Yeah, it's like when you were a kid, you were afraid of the monster hiding under your bed. And as an adult, you're just afraid of commitment. <laughs> Oh man, or paying the mortgage or whatever. Yeah, you grow yeah. up and you start. Yeah, you your own you, monsters. You know, you yeah, still you. have your monsters. <laughs> but yeah, no, I I guess um, I, I just find it interesting because as we go into you know you go into Halloween and everybody decorates their it's because I feel like it's become bigger and bigger, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it's because like you know everybody gets so crazy about Christmas and decorating their lawn and it's like man all this work for just you know one time of the year. 
Mm-hmm. Like what can we, what other holiday can we do that we can put stuff on our lawn? And so Halloween seems to be the case. So it's like right now you got like skeletons and zombies and tombstones and stuff in people's yards, and that's going to get replaced with reindeer and mm-hmm. Santa Claus and Frosty. <laughs> You know, the fun thing with Halloween is that, you know, especially when you're a kid and you're out trick or treating is you get the opportunity to be somebody else. And, you know, it's like one of the one of the appeals of acting or uh, poetry or anything. You know, you get to step into a different voice or a different character. And well, I really think what it is, like is you it. get to dress in a costume and get candy. That's also very true. I mean, and anytime that comes with candy, uh, kids are like, yeah. Oh, yeah. You I want mean, to wear a costume? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Add you up want, all the factors you and you got a fun time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, man. and I think that's the, um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, there is a fun to it. I mean, obviously, um, there are some people that like to actually take it a little bit too far and, you know, um, channeling, you know, the devil and stuff like that because they think, you know, that's cool. And to me, I think like, well, that's a little bizarre. I mean, obviously, I'm not sitting here saying, oh, yeah, vampires are real or anything like that. But there's a you know there's a certain um, mythos uh, to it. Mm-hmm. That's it is, it, it's just it's interesting. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm you know maybe I'm just a little bit off, but it's to me I just think it's 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 interesting. Mm-hmm. In in these stories, if we dig deep, you know these these stories are there um, to teach us something. Right. I always wonder where these scary stories originated. I mean, a lot of us have heard about, you know, like Dracula, who, if I'm not mistaken, was based on a real person, Vlad the Impaler. He was a real person, right? Yeah, Vlad was a real person. And apparently, uh, uh, in some to some historians, a defender of Christianity against the, uh, the Muslims, because he had this uh, Muslims that were coming, you know, I think from Turkey or whatever, that were uh, invading into uh, Europe. Uh, I, I could be I I could be a little bit wrong on a little bit off on that, but um, but I think he basically was kind of like because he was Eastern Europe, so okay. he, you know he kind of yeah so he uh, you know would uh, impale his uh, his uh, victims they would be on a pike and uh, some legends say that he would eat dinner out there you know with everybody hanging out on the on the pike huh. So, which is, I don't know, he had, he had a, yeah, he, he had a certain uh, reputation and a certain legend that kind of, you know, went beyond uh, what you would, what what would actually be real. But I feel like that's a lot of, um, a lot of historical characters are kind of like that. I mean, if you think about like uh, St. Nicholas, and we kind of got Santa Claus off of him. Mm-hmm. So... You know, it, it kind of the mil- myth, the myth builds over time, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, it was based off of a real person, and uh, he liked to impale people. Hmm. So I can get down with that. Well, alrighty then. I'm probably exiting now. <laughs> <laughs> there are no exits. <laughs> it's like the haunted mansion at Disney. Oh man! You can try my way. Which is basically then you see um, somebody, you know, image of somebody hanging themselves or that have hung themselves, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, this is good for kids. Oh, boy. So anyway, but uh, so I wrote a poem that's sort of based around this kind of idea of the loss of superstition Mm -hmm. um, in our in society, you know, as we become more rational. And the title of it is The Pleasant House. Hmm. So I will read it for you. Let's hear it. And um, All right, here we go. Do my best to read it here. An alchemist wielding hammer and chisel could not extract one syllable from the bricks that made up the pleasant house. A hundred years of secrets murmured only by the dust coughed up through the cracks in its walls. Many pondered its mysteries, but no man dared to spend one night in them. Why such calamities could befall in a state so oddly named was most beguiling, and so naturally the rumors were born. These were the threads the storytellers placed in their loom to weave the fabric that shrouded our imaginations in terror. 
Oh, the deaths that people died! Oh, the deals made with the devil! Oh, this haunt of wanton jackals said to feast on virgin souls! There were some who claimed of hearing ghostly cackles in the night, and saw what looked to be a candle flickering, but no other signs of life, and all this from a distance with the threshold left untrod, as stories warned of men who crossed and left this world behind. In time the legend grew pale and thin, like the vines upon the house, until we became indifferent. No longer did we care about its name, nor desired its secrets, and when the city planned to tear it down, no one protested. But when the crews began their work, an old man with keys in his hand stood silent and still, never flinching but faithfully gazing, his cold eyes piercing through the rubble as if his very heart was buried there. He was a phantom to this time, a wandering spirit abandoned in a city too rational to see him and too distracted to care. A historian now stands on the barren grounds and muses over the estate once oddly named. With hammer in hand, he pounds the metal stake that will bear, a sign for the house that birthed stories of terror, house of mysteries evading the ear, to be commemorated as having once been there. Nice work there. So yeah, um, hopefully uh, everybody there kind of got what I was going with that, but it's just that same thing. It's just that one time that, that used to hold a, a certain superstition, a cer certain place within the community, and now it's just like, no, nah, it's just another house. Mm -hmm. You know, at most, you know, remembered by the little plaque that said, oh, yeah, you know. Mm -hmm. So, and I feel like that's the, uh, that's always the danger. So it's a, so hopefully with this episode, uh, with our discussion here, hopefully it's kind of recapturing sort of like that kid inside, you know. Um, that wets itself um, after hearing some of these stories. I got to ask, was that based on any particular location? Your house. Oh, well, alrighty then. <laughs> it's like, oh, time to move now. <laughs> oh my gosh, I got to tell you. So I've lived in my house for a little over five years now, and there were times where like, um, my cat would like stare off into this one particular corner. It was always this one specific one. And my wife and I would notice it and we're just like, what on earth is she staring at? You know, it, there was like a little piece of us that was thinking, is there a ghost? But looking back on the situation now, it, and this is also what, what we really believe it was, was, um, probably like, um, a reflection from our phone or one of our phones or something like that. But it was freaky because like we would look in the corner and she would be just like staring intently at something. And we're just like, what is going on? But, it, you know, again, looking at it, it's like, oh, probably just a reflection. Well, you uh, live right next to the canal there. So uh, mm -hmm. it would be uh, quite a sight if all of a sudden, you, you know, they had a situation where the dead rose up. <laughs> all of a sudden you're out on your uh back patio there and you're looking and you're like so all of a sudden start seeing all these bodies starting climbing up and out of the canal i would be freaking out and likely praying and freaking out some more that would not be a good day for evan no way no 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 it would not be a good day <laughs> No, I don't think that would be a good day for anybody living over there. Nope. <laughs> but uh, so I don't anyway. know um, if I would pee my pants or cry or do both at the same time. But, yeah, not a good time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, f I find it really interesting how many times we've mentioned uh, wedding ourselves. Yeah, I noticed that. That was others. like the fourth or fifth reference between us, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All joking aside and everything. Uh, so with that, yeah, you know, no, no real, um, no real inspiration in terms of a particular house. Honestly, I don't even know exactly what it was that that triggered it per se. But getting back to it, I, I just again, I just find ghost stories really fascinating. In, in in these type of, even if it's totally fiction, it's still just enjoyable. It's 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 fun, and, oh, yeah. and that's part of the thing too. When people read scary stories or they read novels. 
Um, like the novel of uh, another friend of the podcast, Tom Ike, who wrote uh, One Ounce of Fear. We had him mm-hmm. on season two, we had a two-part interview with him, so really enjoyed that. And mm-hmm. uh, it's a great novel to read, especially uh, with Halloween coming up. It's, uh, you know, get your copy. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can get it on Amazon and that, and I'll include a link to that as well. That's a really good book, mm-hmm. fun book to read. And uh, But, you know, these are things that, you know, and in some ways, you know, it's like the guilty pleasure kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, but also just it, it's fascinating because it does challenge us mm-hmm. in a way. It challenges uh, our understanding of how life works. Right, yeah. I mean, we don't have a complete understanding of the world. I mean, we've got a good idea about a lot of it, but there's still so many mysteries out there that remain unsolved. And yeah, I mean, some things we may never understand completely. So, um, with that, so that's, uh, so hopefully you enjoyed, uh, my poem there, uh, the pleasant house. Yeah. And uh, I enjoyed it. I hope they did. I'm going to have, uh, Evan, I'm going to have you read our, uh, your next story here that you have for us. And this is also about a house. And it's uh, not a specific house. It's a house. Right. So it's not based on mine or yours or yeah. or anybody's. We don't know where this one is. So it's one of those opportunities to kind of let your mind wander and, you know, picture it for yourself. But yeah, this one is called A House of Terror, which I believe in your poem. Didn't you mention A House of Terror? Or did I hear that somewhere um, else? Well, no, no. Uh no, it the there is a line that uh, it's a house that birthed stories of terror. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, you just uh, just I just mix the words up. <laughs> so. Okay. Well, here's a house of terror. The car finally gave out. Jeff hit the dashboard in frustration. It was Son bad enough. Bird. What? Well, I'm just, oh. I'm <laughs> I was just like, did I mess something up? <laughs> no, no, I just figured I would just kind of add in the sound effect there. <laughs> oh, please do, now that I know it's coming. <laughs> anyway, okay, back into... Uh, back into. All right, all right, let's start that one over again. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. Sound effects. <sighs> A house of terror. The car finally gave out. Jeff hit the dashboard in frustration. (laughs) It was bad enough that the car had to break down. But at night, in the rain, in the middle of God knows wherever he was, it was a fitting end to his bad week. The week had seen his wife leave him, taking the kids with her. He had been demoted at his job and was now forced to go back on the road as a salesman. Now, this had happened and things weren't going to get any better anytime soon, Jeff decided he might as well try to find a way out of this mess. He considered waiting in his car for another car to come by and help him. The road wasn't often used, though, and that might take hours. So, Jeff decided to first walk down the road to see if there were any other choices. After walking for a half hour in the pounding rain, Jeff finally came across an old house in the woods. Now, Jeff had seen enough horror movies to make him turn back, but the rain alone was enough to override his sense of fear and trepidation. He walked up the winding road to the door. Uh, The house looked to be very old and not kept up well and Jeff wondered if anyone even lived there anymore. He knocked on the door, and to his surprise, it was answered rather quickly. An older man, looking to be in his late 70s, asked him what he wanted. Jeff explained his situation and asked if the man had a phone or some way to help. The old man said he was wary of travelers, but decided that Jeff looked honest enough and let him use his phone. Jeff thanked him and asked his name. He said his name was Joseph Palmer and told Jeff the number of the nearest garage. Jeff made his way through to the phone, noticing that the house looked about as old inside as it did outside, and was surprised that there was even a phone at the place. He called the garage, but they said there was nothing they could do until the morning. 
and they would meet him at noon at his car. Mr. Palmer offered Jeff the guest room to sleep in for the night. Jeff was a bit wary at spending the night in such a spooky old house, but decided that the walk back in the rain and sleeping in the car couldn't be much safer than staying at the house. He accepted and was shown to the room. The house was adorned with antique everything. Not a piece of furniture seemed to have been purchased in at least the last 60 years or more. Mr. Palmer showed him the room and bided him good night. The man was nice, but the whole situation still left Jeff unnerved. He just tried to tell himself that he had watched far too many horror movies as a child. The bedroom had a canopy bed, one old lamp, a single window, and a red carpet. The house was eerily quiet as Jeff laid himself down on the bed. Quiet. Except for a creak here and a thump there. By now, Jeff's imagination had him too paranoid to sleep as he heard Mr. Palmer outside the room, walking up and down the hallway outside. Up he went and down he went. Then the footsteps stopped right outside his room. Jeff waited, yet nothing happened. A half hour passed, and yet he heard nothing except the rain beating outside and the wind howling as the storm blew on. Finally, sleep slowly overcame Jeff, even with his nervousness heightened. Slowly, his eyes closed, though he thought he could almost hear something scratching at his door. <coughs> Jeff awoke. The storm had passed, and daylight was shining through the window curtains. Happy that all his nervousness was for nothing, Jeff got out of bed and checked his watch. He had slept in until 11.20 and had to leave quickly before the people from the garage got to his car. Leaving the room, he was greeted by Mr. Palmer. Palmer asked him if he had slept well. Jeff replied that he had, though he had trouble falling asleep. Palmer laughed and asked if he was afraid of the old house at night in the middle of nowhere. Jeff admitted that, maybe, he was a bit afraid, but he felt silly for it now. He thanked Palmer and said he had to leave quickly to get to his car. He turned to leave when suddenly something banged his head and everything went quite dark. When Jeff came to, he was tied to a chair in the basement. The place reeked of horrible smells. Mr. Palmer walked up to him with a large knife in his hand. Jeff screamed and tried to free himself, but only tired himself out. He looked up in horror at Mr. Palmer and asked him why he was doing this and why now. Palmer answered that night. He would have been nervous, full of fear, and ready for any attack Palmer would do. No, that wasn't the right time. Everyone expects the attack at night. But during the morning... People are more relaxed, and the fear is low, making them blind to any chance of harm. Jeff asked him again, Why was he doing this? What was he going to do with him? And said someone, like the garage people, would find out what happened. Mr. Palmer said that mishaps happen on the highways at night, mainly during storms, so hardly anyone would even think twice as to why he was gone. If anyone actually did start asking questions, Palmer said he had ways to discourage that kind of activity. As for why he was doing this, Palmer simply said that Jeff need not worry about that. In fact, he need not worry about anything anymore. Jeff looked into Palmer's eyes as he walked towards him. His eyes were completely black, and Jeff tried to scream. The yeah. <laughs> so um wow you got really uh intense at the end there i'm really, i'm telling you you're really selling it oh well i try <laughs> yeah well you know hey my sad attempt at trying to do uh sound effects i liked your sound effects <laughs> i did not expect that at first but that was like that's all right right on there it is like at first when my you timing first did that off. i thought i screwed something up and <laughs> yeah but no, no you're good. Cool. You're good. Thank you for those. 
Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, anytime to screw you up. <laughs> oh, so, of course. Um, I'll remember that. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, yeah, well, this story is kind of interesting. So, um, you know, obviously, I'm not really, in, in, in terms of the end, it's, I, I I don't know. I'm not a really big fan of, when movies end like this, it's just kind of like, wow, there's no redeeming quality, I feel like. It's just like, oh, okay, so basically we we sort of have an idea as far as what happened to him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm not really a a big fan of, of that per se. But one of the things that I found really interesting about this particular story is just how self-aware Jeff is. Mm-hmm. That he's, he's like, well, I know, like, this, you know, normally happens in horror films um this so it doesn't seem like a good idea but then I, something unexpected i happened, I, I guess yeah. uh i guess i'll do it anyway because i don't really have any other options hmm. which i think is just kind of funny because why wouldn't you have any other options you know hmm. i think sometimes in a situation where people become desperate or panicked it's almost as if the anxiety that stems from that kind of inhibits their brain a little bit, like it it keeps them from thinking clearly. Like if we're in a situation where we need to solve something and we're not like in a dangerous situation, then it's easier for us to uh, process things and make decisions logically. But also sometimes we end up in situations where we're just in a tough spot no matter what. It's like, you know, when you're watching those movies and you're like, don't go into the woods. Nothing good happens <laughs> in the woods. And the person goes, I got to run into the woods. Where can I go? <laughs> I know there's situations like that. And you kind of wonder, it's just like, why are you doing something so stupid? At the same time, though, to play devil's advocate a little bit, they're panicking. They're not always going to think straight. I know these are just characters in in books and movies and stuff like that. But if you put yourself in their shoes for a second, when they're panicking, yeah, they're not always going to think straight. They're not always going to be like, you know, okay, let's think about the situation calmly. Yeah, yeah. And what do we do? Well, you know, hey. But also, it, you know, sometimes these people write these movies because they just want to throw in some action or some violence or yeah, something for the audience. You know, and in this situation, you know, you have movies that end kind of like this. We know what, pretty much what happened to them, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, we know how Palmer gets his meat. So, <laughs> yep, apparently, you know, and you know, Hannibal Lecter, you know, probably wears you know the human suit. Yeah, I would imagine. Uh, my wife recently watched that show. Uh, it, oh yeah, it was just called Hannibal. It was sort of a retelling, I guess, of Silence of the Lambs, but in like a. I guess like before Silence of the Lambs took place, something like that. You ever see that show? Um, it's I'm freaky. With, well, it's I've, really I've freaky. seen it. Yeah. yeah, I just you know, and I, and I get it. You know, there's this there's this um, mystery. There, there's this mystery. There's this um, uh, interest in the way that a, that somebody's mind would work in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this whole idea of like trying to understand a serial serial killer. Mm-hmm. You know. And um, I, I could see that, you know, that that interest there. But again, it's just if it's that person that wins, you know, mm-hmm. and it, at the end, it's just there's, you, you know, it it doesn't leave you with any sense of resolve, mm-hmm. and it kind of leaves you in sort of like a dark place. Mm-hmm. And I think, in the grand scheme of things, any type of horror, any type of th- um, say horror um yeah any type of horror um you know thrillers all those kind of things like there needs you, you obviously have those twists and things like that but there there needs to be some sort of um resolve there needs to be a light at the end of the tunnel mm-hmm. um because that's that's how that like for life like that's life like there's there's no good way to go about life if you're not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, like everybody deals with really difficult stuff. And if you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, if you can't see that there's something to, that there's still hope in the world Mm -hmm. in spite of all these kind of things, you know, I feel like that kind of, 
it almost makes it to where like, okay, what's the point? Mm-hmm. And so that's, I, I guess I'm getting a little bit too deep, but that's kind of where I feel sometimes with, with, with some of these things where it's just basically, you know, senseless violence. Oh yeah. And killing. Yeah. I get that. And I know, um, before we started this episode, you and I were talking a little bit about movies and like, there were some that each of us had seen that there's no real resolution. It's just horrible and makes you feel pretty depressed or sad afterward. Yeah. It messes you up. That's for sure. I know like, uh, whenever I'm feeling down, there's, uh, I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan and, there's um, a certain line from the two towers that always makes me feel better. And it's near the end of the movie where um, uh, Frodo asks Sam, he's like, and I may be paraphrasing, but he says something like, what are we holding on to, Sam? And Sam, after giving a speech, he's like, that there's still good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. And it's one of those things that reminds you, you know, you got to have some kind of hope and some kind of you know, reason to, you know, seek out the light of day. Yeah, there's got to be uh, courage. Mm-hmm. Courage is, is uh, the word, and, and, and to be able to, to live out um, that that goodness in the world. Yeah, you know, and it to can be, be that To be that spark, to be that light. And, hey, I mean, that kind of ties into just, you know, where things are in the world in general. Um, there's a lot of, um, with the pandemic and everything like that, you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of dis, uh, discouragement, a lot of, um, depression. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're, if you're struggling with, if you're listening and you're struggling with that, um, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is still good in this world. Yes. So, you know, don't feel like you have to, don't feel like um, that, you know, nothing gets better, you know, from here. It may not feel like that, but there is still hope in the world. So you just hold on, you know? Yes. And I think that's the ultimate thing that always needs to be communicated is that there is, there is that hope. That's true. I mean, and it can be so hard to find sometimes, especially when you're feeling really low. It can be extremely difficult to pull yourself out of that or just just to find any kind of hope but yes there is good out there and there is hope so but again these stories we're sharing ultimately it's just meant to to scare and and again and hopefully you're having fun with this hopefully you know uh this won't give you nightmares but um i got one more story it's a story that i kind of came up with with my uh kids uh, with my daughter so it's got kind of like um I wouldn't say a historical theme, but it's based around the White House because my uh, at the time when I I came up with it, my daughter was really into presidents and White House and you know presidential history, all that kind of stuff. Hmm. So it's sort of based on that, What's and it uh, so it's uh, it, it's basically I, I don't really have like a a real official title. It just you know it happened in white during a white house tour and um but yeah so i i uh i i created this for my uh for my kids because uh, they're entertained by this kind of stuff and um so i'm gonna share that uh, as our, our final story here and then um but yeah i hope everybody's enjoyed the stories we're reading like i said um they're available these stories like House of, House of Terror, Yellow Ribbon, High Beams. These are all stories that I found online just by searching uh, scary campfire stories. And there's a lot of other ones out there that are uh, that are fun to read. And, uh, you know, maybe try a few out uh, with your uh, ho- during your uh, Halloween gathering and that. You know, get uh, turn the lights down, get the flashlight out, uh, maybe even get a campfire, a bonfire going if you could do that. Um, but just uh, just have some fun. Just have some fun. So, like I said, this uh, story I'm going to share, it's, I'll say it's happened on a White House tour. And that's the title, folks. That's the title. That's the way it's going to be. I guess it's official now. And that's the way it is. So, anyway, so there's this, uh, this young woman. She was really excited to tour the White House. She's part of this uh, White House tour, and she's been to D.C. a few times before. Uh, toured the Capitol and seen the Washington Monument, 
the Lincoln Monument and that. Um, but this particular time, like I said, she was on a White House tour. She was getting to see the presidential mansion. So she was part of this big group of people, and they were kind of going through. And a lot of people had questions and that, so the tour was moving somewhat slow. And they got to one point where they were right by the Lincoln bedroom, and she really had to use the bathroom. She had, uh, you know, a couple of a uh, couple of burritos and that uh, before she did her tour uh, for lunch. And of course, uh, she was a little bit late getting to lunch, and so she uh, didn't have the time beforehand to use the restroom. And she thought, "Oh, I'll just wait till the end," because um, they don't really want you to just kind of wander off anywhere with the White House. So they usually say, "If you got to use the restroom, you're going to have to wait till the end of the tour." So she really had to use the bathroom, and it was getting to a point where, I mean, she was prairie-dogging it. (laughs) (laughs) So. That was inserted way too casually. (laughs) I'm sorry to interrupt, Jim. Go ahead. (laughs) supposed to be a scary story. (laughs) Right? So anyway. So she gets to this point, and she's it's just really, really, really getting bad, and there's just no end in sight to some of these questions that people are asking and that. And so she's looking around, looking around, and she looks and she sees down this one corridor at the end, she sees what looks like to be a bathroom. And she knows she's not supposed to wander off. However... She figures with this group here and with all the questions, she could be in the bathroom and then be back before anybody noticed that she wandered off. So she decided to take that chance. So she went down the corridor and she went up to the door, opened the door, and um, it was dark. And then she, so she was fumbling around for a light switch, turns on the light, and it turned out to be a bathroom, and it turned out to be a very beautiful bathroom. I mean, it's just marble floors, um, just exquisite uh, woodwork, especially around the vanity and that, um, and just really nice um, lighting, uh, nice earth tone colors and that. It was just a beautiful bathroom, really was. And so she went in and... Um, uh, she did. She, she sat down in the toilet and that, um, did her business, and then uh, got up, and she went up to the sink and was going to wash her hands and, and be on her way. Well, uh, she goes to turn the faucet on, and initially nothing comes out. She's like, huh, maybe there's just, that's weird. Maybe there's no water to the sink or that. So she tries the other knob, and all of a sudden she hears this rattle in the pipe and then a splurt and all of a sudden all of this black disgusting um almost kind of oily liquid starts to pour out of the faucet and she goes to turn it off and it won't turn off she's like she goes both knobs turns both knobs and it just continues to pour out and of course now she's starting to get real uh, tense. So, uh, what, like, did I just break something? Was I not supposed to be in here or like that? So she figures, okay, I'm not going to wash my hands in that. And she looks up, and all of a sudden, in the mirror, she sees a face. But this face is not like just a regular face. This is a almost like half de- decomposed face of something. It just wiry white hair. And half, like, you could see half the skeleton there. The skin is starting to fall off and everything. And it's just these green eyes looking at at her. And she goes to turn around. She freaks out. She turns around. But there's nothing there. And then she turns back around. And there it is right there in front of her. And... It's reaching towards her. She's freaking out and she's screaming, but nobody's coming. Nothing's happening. And she's backing up. She's backing up against the wall. And this thing is reaching with its hand. And just as it goes to touch her, she blacked out. 
Next thing she knows, she hears a voice. Hey, hey, are you okay? Are you all right? Are you okay? She opens her eyes, and there's a janitor. And she's opening her eyes, starting to come to, and this janitor's like, are you okay? Are you all right? How'd you get in here? How'd you get in here? And she's looking around, and all of a sudden, this bathroom that she thought she was in was a janitor closet. And the janitor goes, why, why are you here? What are you doing? And why are there turds in my mop bucket? <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's right. <laughs> that, that, that's like an unexpected turd. Dude, I got to admit, partway through that, like when you're talking about the face she sees in the mirror and then she turns around and then she turns again and it's there, I literally got chills. That was freaking me out. Like, because I'm just imagining you said, like, the the hair was, like, all... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my goodness. And the, the decomposed face. Like, that was legit freaking me out a bit. And <laughs> the so uh I, I didn't know we'd ever turn to the uh, scatological there. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> let's just say my kids were uh, very entertained by that story. Oh my gosh. And like I, I said, it happened on a White House tour. <laughs> I love your kids. I wish I could have been there to to Oh, see they were this. laughing. They were laughing at any time. They uh, any time uh, the twist ends with either poop or somebody being naked, <laughs> they think it's hilarious. You know, it's funny. Like I remember we were talking a little bit before this about like um, you telling your kids stories, and yeah, like you just said, they always get a kick out of it when it somehow has a poop ending. And <laughs> here you yeah. go. Like Turn- I had another one that I told about <laughs> Abraham Lincoln and. Um, about like him somehow um, some sort of like mystical thing happening to him Mm -hmm. and that and then all of a sudden him waking up and he's on the floor of his log cabin and then the last word I said was naked (laughs) and then the kids were just like (laughs) just losing they were just laughing they thought it was hilarious speaking of okay this is sort of off topic but kind of on topic at the same time. Where you are, you went to school to be a scatologist? Yes. Scatologist? Is that how you said? uh, Would this be like a researcher of poop? I I don't know. Scatologist. I feel like it should be a real thing. I'm always down for a good, like, fart or poop joke. I don't necessarily study We really lowered the bar on this We went from telling scary stories to talking about poop all of a sudden. Sorry, guys. (sighs) It's a natural progression of things. Oh, but the thing I was going to tell you, Abe Lincoln and scary stories, because this is just where my brain ended up. Um, a fun one for the for the holiday season, the Halloween season. If you can find it, it's probably on Netflix or something. Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. I watched that earlier this year. It is ridiculous, but it's awesome, and it's perfect for this time of year. <laughs> Random yeah. movie. Just yeah. want to four just score and seven years ago, our fa- forefathers uh, killed vampires. Literally, that's like what the movie's about, though. It's supposed to be Abraham Lincoln, like uh, killing vampires and whatnot. It's it's a pretty fun film. Well, so. that's a uh, quite <laughs> interesting. I don't know why. So, I'm sorry. That's just what I started. Well, I think on that now. note. <laughs> Poop, um, Abraham Lincoln, and uh, yeah, wow, yeah. okay, we really, uh, we really covered the gambit of stuff that we did. But uh, anyway, I want to thank everybody for listening. This is a you know a little bit longer episode than what we normally do, but uh, hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully you have a safe um, Halloween and uh, have a safe uh, time out there trick or treating. Uh, even if you're not a kid and you're going out there trick or treating, um, you know, no disrespect, I guess, uh, on that. You know, as long as you're wearing a costume. As long as you're trying. Yeah, if you're just going door to door and just, if you're not even wearing a costume, come on. At least put a costume on. 
Yeah, seriously. At least, you know, at least look the part. You know, don't just go out there with a trash bag and say, well, what are you supposed to be? Your next-door neighbor. <laughs> well, I know you're my next-door neighbor. Well, what are you supposed to be? <laughs> just give me candy, and I'll walk away. When I was in high school, was it high school? Maybe it was middle school. You know, we had certain days that were like theme days, like it was during Spirit Week. Mm-hmm. And I think one of them was supposed to be a superhero day. I didn't wear a costume because my theme was... I was going to be the everyday hero. Wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, again, have a happy and safe Halloween. Have uh, fun. Eat lots of candy. Um, it doesn't, apparently, the calories don't count if you do it on a holiday. That's what I'm told. I agree um, with that. But anyway, and again, hope you enjoy these stories and that. Please don't forget to leave a five-star rating and positive review wherever you are listening to this podcast. Also, please don't forget to uh, share it with friends and family. And if you have a creative work that you would like to hear on a future episode of this podcast or see featured on our blog site, and again, the URL for that is www.deertrackspodcast.blog, you can send that to me. Uh, through email, and that's james at deertrackspodcast.blog. Well, until our paths cross again, this is James Kibbe with my good friend Evan Anstey saying, see you next time on the Deer Tracks Podcast. Bye. <laughs>